Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. 69, dudes! Thank you, everyone. Welcome in, fellow basement dwellers, to another edition of Bandwagon Nerds, the 90s project rolling along. We are moving into part four, four, five, something like that. Drink, because I've already forgotten. Part five. Thank you, David Ungar, of the 90s project. This week, we are covering the top 10 action-adventure movies of the 90s. But of course, we're not gonna, I'm not going to do this all by myself. I'm not flying solo. This is actually a two-part show. Sorry, it's a two-part show. We we will be doing the '90s project, and of course, WandaVision ended this week. The series season slash series question mark. We're not quite sure the title of the episode said series finale, so that seems to lead me to believe that it may be done. But we are going to bring all of that into this show. We're going to evaluate it, talk about the episode itself, and what it means for the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. With me today, a very special panel. Of course, we've got the lawyer himself, David Ungar. David, how are you doing? Doing well. Looking forward to discussing how WandaVision came to a conclusion this last week, and then talk some action-adventure with you guys. And um, yeah, It's going to be a good show, as usual. Excellent, excellent. We have my Wisconsin versus Iowa college basketball hookup slash the live studio audience himself, PC Tunney. Can I get a score update? Because you made a bad face. Iowa trying to convert an and one down two with 216 to go. We are currently on a timeout. Oh, drama. Oh, drama. And this week, the Reverend is out. Ray Cash had to work today. Guess real money is more important than the funny money of the podcasting world, but that's okay because we have a very special guest today. I promised him two weeks ago. I promised him last week. It's Mr. Velvet Pipes himself, the voice of the Chair Shot Radio Network, Mr. Christopher Platt. Welcome back onto the bandwagon. It has been a while. Greetings and salutations, mouth breathers. It has been a while, but thanks for having me on. I always have a great time when I come here, and I'm looking forward to being back on today. Yeah, I want to personally mouth thank breathers. you for helping us meet our <laughs> black person quota today. Thank you for helping us meet our black person quota today. We've got our one. We appreciate you. Shout out to Affirmative Action. Hell yeah. <laughs> and it, it, in fact, full disclosure, I mean, we had Ray Cash on here, and we were like, that's too many black people. You have to go. Go, Ray. 
he, he can't do that. No, too many, too many. So sorry. That's a shoot. That's a That's shoot. Well, as well, POD got, came on here and said, "Woo, it's looking kind of dark in this chat. What's going on?" I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable as a white middle class man. I can't have all of this, all of this color in the podcast. Please stay away. I got another question for you, by the way, um, for you specifically. So. Uh, because this is the podcast that I host, I, I usually get tasked with the, the pro wrestling tees commercial bit. And uh, I give you credit, but I, I love please and thank you, thank you, and please. But by me using that, is that considered cultural appropriation? Judges? We'll let it slide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. How is that cultural appropriation? The word please and thank you and thank you and please? Get the I'm fuck out saying, of here. I'm just saying a, a, the, a black person coined the term i think as a, as a white, person, you i think you worry about it too much i just i've had these jokes in my back pocket ever since oh. like the show's been like why why, why you gotta call me out like that man I, now i feel i feel threatened i feel um what is it the college kids where i work they like to use the word uncomfortable they say uncomfortable when they want to freak out administrators this situation made me uncomfortable and then we got to stop everything and and evaluate how i don't know we we distribute keys so I, I mean to be honest though pat with all due respect it is america i mean y'all been stealing our shit since we got up off the boat so why stop now i, know. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't i don't really want to stop i want to keep my seat in power i've been you know I'm very appreciative of the democrats not following through on any of their promises after black people got them elected and saying no nah, oh. no minimum wage for you you say that like you're surprised. I just look at Amber and roll my oh, eyes. No, like, y'all really thought they were going to do what they said they were going to do? Nah, nah. It's just, <laughs> you it's fun. Never stuff. watch politics? <laughs> I, oh, man. I want to jump in here, but I'm not going to. Yeah, I mean, you can. No, okay. no. No, no. Dave shook me off. I, I tend to listen to Dave. Dave, Dave shook you off. He didn't necessarily shake me off, but his gesture allowed me to obtain the amount of knowledge that was in the back of my brain. That allowed me to shut the fuck up. Yeah, this is one of the Fair. strangest openings to bandwagon nerds in our brief history. So this this might be my favorite opening in the history of bandwagon welcome nerds. To, welcome to bandwagon liberals. Oh, bandwagon yeah. liberals. <laughs> middle class white middle aged man. We're two Let's black people is done. one too many, apparently. So right. <laughs> But 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 Platt, just to just to keep the thing going, if I could have voted for Obama for a third term, I would have. <laughs> Remind me there not you. to sleep over at Odell's house. I'm being a son. Uh, <laughs> my wife likes to make tea. She makes a lot of tea. She helps people talk through their 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 issues. So, all right, all right. Welcome back to the show. It's great to have everybody back. Like I said, this is basically a two part show. I did save Patrick O'Dowd has a question for one other subject. We will have Platt with us for the first half. He he also has a life outside of podcasting. Apparently, I don't understand it, but um. I, you know, to get ready for actually yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. And, and if that actually, if that work. life involves watching wrestlemania 11 then just stay well, on the show because we're, we're gonna talk about that we're gonna talk about that when we let platt go i'm gonna let him put that over in a big way uh towards the end because uh, we have listened to it but you are listening to bandwagon nerds uh on the chair shot radio network part of the chairshot.com and we're just gonna let's let's get right to it. Let's let's get into the land of Marvel. What say you guys? You ready to do this? The 
Oh boy. There's some uh, what happened, Tony. We're still up one, but it's a bullshit call and now wall fall out. Oh, sad face. So yes, we are recording this on Sunday during a pivotal Big Ten contest between Wisconsin and Iowa. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the season slash series finale of WandaVision. And just looking at the reviews that a lot of people have had of this finale, it seems like it's a fairly positive yet tepid response, if that makes sense, where it seems like people enjoyed the finale, but wanted a lot more from it. And so I've seen a lot of people who have used the Patrick O'Dowd descriptor of it was okay. It was fine. And uh, I think it's interesting because I actually quite liked the finale. And upon further review and sort of thinking about it, we'll talk about it later. I, uh, I I appreciated it a lot more on a second viewing and just sort of reframing how I thought about the show. But before we get into that, let's just let's just do a quick once around. And we'll, we'll start with you, Platt, as the guest. What were your thoughts on that? You haven't been on this show at all. So if you want to talk about just your thoughts on the series in general and then get into the finale, we'd love to hear it. So take it away. Well, I, I enjoyed the show just like everybody else going into it. We had seen a couple of the trailers but didn't really know what to expect. So it had a lot of twists and turns. They took a lot of chances. Not everything worked. Uh, as far as the finale, I, I enjoyed the finale. It didn't hurt that I didn't enjoy the the previous iteration of the show. I didn't like last week's episode at all. So the bar was set pretty low for the finale to be able to jump over. And, you know, it's funny with the Pumultment episode, and I know I totally butchered that word, but they were kind of laying the backstory and giving context to everything that we had seen this season. And they were trying to paint Wanda in a sympathetic light about why she would do something like this. But for me personally, it backfired. She just came across like a crazy bitch. I mean, you fell in love with the stream of consciousness. So we already know the elevator doesn't go all the way to the top, you know? And the one thing that I kept thinking about the last half of the season slash series finale was you're in Jersey. Dr. Strange is like <laughs> right around the corner. You need some mentorship to learn how to deal with these powers. And I'm sure he could use some female companionship because the whole Rachel McAdams thing didn't work out. It seems like a win-win for everybody. Okay. <laughs> Not sure about that female companionship part. That's a little disturbing, but no, I hear you. Tony, what did you think of the series finale, man? I I enjoyed it. I mean, I was kind of just on the ride, on for, along for the ride the whole way. All the things that you guys were speculating on, which I think is great, right? Like, you don't always have to deliver on all those things immediately. There could be a whole ton of things that just started from this that are going to branch out into everything we have coming in the next two or three years. I mean, we already talked about it in the chat before. You've set up two movies and possibly a series just by these nine episodes, right? We take two weeks off and we get into the next one. I'll put it to you this way. My mom had never seen anything Marvel in her entire life. And I got her to start watching this about three or four episodes in. And she called me this morning at quarter to seven in the morning after she had watched it. And it was about 15, 20 minutes after she had watched it. And she goes... I could still cry right now. That was so good. The story that they told with Wanda and vision and the ending. So now she, she she's literally probably watching Dr. Strange at this moment in time. So I, I think they did a great job of keeping the hardcore fans, uh, their minds going right. Because if you didn't have a ton of speculation on this, we would have shit all over it, right? Like, Oh, it's so simple. It's so boring at the same time. It was simple 
it wasn't boring and it kept everybody interested hardcore and brand new fans alike that's what i took away from it david ungar your thoughts <laughs> you already know i'm gonna shit all over this right no i'm just kidding um i don't i don't know do my job yeah do your job east german judge coming through I still don't know exactly how I feel about the finale. I mean, it, it on the one hand, yeah, if you were expecting there to be some finality, which I think for the last few weeks we all said there's not going to be much in the way of finality to this, then I think, you know, mission accomplished. It, 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 I agree with Tony. This set a lot of things in motion for future projects. And really, that's what WandaVision was, was a long, drawn-out backstory that leads to Doctor Strange 2. That leads probably to Captain Marvel 2. Possibly down the road, Secret Invasion. I know we talked about that in our chat. We don't need to get into all that right now. But, you know, I thought it, it does, you know, the rumors that Wanda's going to be the villain in Doctor Strange uh, 2 really didn't come to fruition until the very last post credit scene where you see Wanda reading from the Book of the Damned. And you're like, okay, that's probably not going to end up very well. Uh, there's still, it, it was, it was a good finale. I mean, it, 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 it leaves a lot of questions unanswered, which is kind of like what you were expecting. So, you know, I think when you get down to the point that this is really Wanda's story and not something more involved standing alone, it's, it's a fine, it, it, it was a good finale. It was, it was better than fine, you know, using your terminology, Pat. Uh, but there's still a lot of questions out there that are, remain unanswered, uh, you know, as you as you leave this and now we got a couple weeks off, like Tony saying before uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier starts up. It, it was it was good. I mean, it was good. It wasn't great. I, I was a scotch. There's a word of the day, a scotch disappointed, but not a whole lot. Smidgen Jesus, smidgen, too. It's, OK, I, how we've been making race. How much more white can you get than the word scotch <laughs> and smidgen? Good Lord. Anyway. I like what you said, Dave, about recognizing that it was about Wanda, because that is the reframe that I put on the show the second time around watching the finale. And I talked about this in the chat with the or the bandwagon urge chat, and I talked about this directly with Ray after I'd watched it. We wanted a lot of fans, I won't say we, a lot of fans I think wanted something different out of what the show was than what it was. And not that they didn't want it to be about Wanda and vision and that story, but there were so many more attempts at whether it be figuring out who the next big bad was going to be, how it was going to connect, connect to all these other multiverses, all this other stuff. When at the end of the day, this series slash really long movie is basically a mini series on TV was about Wanda and her grief and her grief driving her to create this alternate reality, driving her to embrace that after credit scene that we see where she grabs the dark hold to start researching and hears the voices of her children, which will just further her grief. And we'll get into that a little bit later, I'm sure. I'm sure. And and so for me, once I stopped, once I rewatched it and kind of just took out all the other speculative stuff that we did and just saw what the show was telling us to me, it changed sort of how I felt about the show because the first time I watched that finale, I was like, wow, I'm kind of let down a little bit. I thought we were going to get Dr. Strange. I thought we were going to get a Mephisto slash nightmare. I thought we were going to get this. I thought we were going to get that. I thought that we would get 
more out of Agatha Harkness. I thought Pietro, like Pietro, the big reveal being a dick joke, like that was that was a whole thing. Like all of that kind of just fell by the way a little bit because at at the end, it's a typical Marvel finish to to what they do in movies for for most of their films, in that it's a one dimensional bad guy that isn't going to carry over likely like they didn't die, but, but they're not, they're not sitting around. It's not a compelling villain. And that's been a problem with Marvel forever is that they're villains outside of what Loki and Thanos and, um, shit, I'm going to forget his name. Black Panther. Um, Oh, uh, Killmonger. 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 Like they don't, Marvel doesn't really create deep three dimensional villains that people really, really, really get behind. And Agatha's motivation at the end of the day is I want more power and I'm going to try to use Wanda to get it. And so, yeah, Marvel just kind of did what they always did in that finale. How do you know that that was the ultimate villain? How do you know that in the long run, Harkness in stopping her from becoming the Scarlet Witch would have been? I mean, like, to me, this is a cornerstone for the future of Marvel, considering where they're going to take it with these next movies, how much you can draw back on from this. Like, I think this is going to mean so much more in 10 years when we go, look at all these different things that go back to this one thing. I think it's a new turning point, a new a new cornerstone for them. I don't know. I'm the least experienced comic book Marvel fan here, but, like, I want to look at the positive of this because it was really well done. I mean, if you're a fan of television over the last God knows how many years, they... they they did kind of what almost what Star Wars is doing now. They played to the fans. They gave you everything you wanted just because it wasn't about what you wanted it to be. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to hold true in 10 years from now. And that's how I took it, to be honest with you. I took this as Agatha was right all along. I mean, she was a little wicked, obviously, but she was right. And looking back in, at, in totality, I look at this as the origin story for the next big bad the next supervillain that we're going to have in the MCU. And as far as people being disappointed, I don't know what people were expecting. I mean, if you watched, we watched the trailers completely devoid of any type of context whatsoever. We had no idea what we were going into. And for the last, what, two months, I've been thoroughly entertained. Like, did everything they do work out or work? No. But I was entertained, and it became appointment viewing for me. And at the end of the day, that's all I could ask for. Well, like you say, I mean, if you're entertained, that's nine tenths of the battle. That's similar to pro wrestling. You know, you can bitch about booking and all this stuff. As long as you're entertained, that's what matters. I want to get back. Well, to you're still, can I just say one thing to pro wrestling though, Dave, before you keep going and I'm going to make this really quick. Are they maybe kind of stealing a little bit from the way that pro wrestling evolved through the, like the attitude era of maybe this is a good guy. Maybe this isn't a bad guy and really make you think about the difference between the two. Well, I mean, Wanda could be called a tweener at this point in time. Sure. Um, but you, you rate, you said something, Tony, that, that I'm not sure I agree with. You said Agatha stopped her from becoming the Scarlet, Witch. I actually think she helped her evolve into the Scarlet, Witch. was my, well, her goal was her goal. The whole time was telling her, you don't know what you're creating, sure. right? And like, she even it, her, says that her, at the end, you have sure, no idea her, what you I, unleashed. Like her consciousness was telling her to stop her from becoming that. That's what I meant. Right, right. And I do think that's one of the big takeaways from this entire series is the the evolution of Wanda Maximoff into the Scarlet Witch at the end, where at the end, she's got the full outfit on. She's got the headpiece on. She has now become the Scarlet Witch. Now you're dealing with, like we were talking last week, 
chaos magic and 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 the fact that you know even she's kind of indicating that these were latent abilities that the mindstone brought out of me i mean i think she says that in this episode or or something like that so you've got a lot of things going on like like chris talks about this is the introduction to the big bad it's a building block to that sure i i don't i think we're probably we won't know who the big bad is till phase five i honestly believe that but this is these are all foundational building blocks to the bigger marvel cinematic universe where they want to go how they want to get there how they want to present this to you which is going to be very different than phase one two and three because those were all set up through the movies this is going to be multifaceted and covering a lot of different mediums and taking advantage of the streaming services involved to say, here's the palette we want to present to you guys. And we're going to do it this way. So we can, you know, we can tell a, a longer, a, a longer story, I think is, is where they're going with this. So before we go into where they're going to go next, I do want to talk about some highlights that I, that I pulled out of this episode. Uh, and I wish Ray would have stayed on because I actually kind of disagreed with him on a couple of things that he didn't really care for too much. Or he was like, "Man, that I loved. I loved the way the vision battle resolved itself because that is what good vision would do. And for those of you who don't remember or haven't seen the episode yet, the 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 sword version of vision that's run by Hayward that operates purely based on its own programming is presented with a paradox by the the constructed vision that Wanda has made that challenges that programming and forces the white vision to consider its own history that exists somewhere in its memory banks that's being kept from it and drives it away from the battle to kind of go find itself. And it's just such a vision way, if you've read the comics, Vision is this ridiculously powerful character. Like, like in, in video game parlance, you would call him OP. And Vision doesn't use that power very often. Vision is very much about using reason and logic and, and, and control. He is a very much a an evil even keeled sort of character. And so for him to resolve the battle with reason to me was perfect. And I loved it. And we got a taste of vision fight before that eventually becomes a becomes resolved. So loved that. Um, the, the goodbye with Wanda and her family when she tucks the kids in and then the two of them, the only thing I wish they would have done is had been sitting on the couch like they'd ended so many episodes. Like, I thought that would have been a great way to kind of resolve. Just I, And that's more of a style thing. And, like, uh, just what I would have done as a director is have them two sitting on the couch just like they have at the end of every episode and have the hex dissolve around them, and that's how Vision goes away. That's a quibble. But I thought it was very beautifully done. They put, it, they put that right at, by the doorway, though, right? Right. As if to say, if someone's leaving, they're going to leave the door, but the door is always going to be there to come back. That's what I took from it. Platt, you look like you had something there. Uh, Well, a couple of things. Number one, when uh, Agatha and Wanda were fighting and Agatha was stealing her life force, it it made me chuckle as I was watching it because it was the first time that she ever looked like any of her sisters. 
<laughs> if you you know if you know you know i'm gonna just leave it at that and number two can we give a little love to katherine hahn i mean this is a woman oh, yeah. that steals everything that she's in whatever movie she's in she comes off the bench and drops 30 every single time so it was nice to see her have a role where she could actually sink her teeth into and and do some things with i really hope she's not done I hope that we haven't seen the last of Agatha Harkness. And I and I honestly don't think we have seen the last of Agatha Harkness. Because if they follow her arc in the comics, she teaches Wanda and is a mentor to Wanda. But at first she's an antagonist to Wanda. That setup is is possible. Yeah. I mean Oh you Dave, could... you're rolling your eyes, man. No, why no. why are you rolling your eyes? I wasn't rolling my eyes. I was just saying that she could be involved in Doctor Strange too. Um she could be what brings Wanda back from the edge. Um so I mean, you're talking if she's in there, a showdown between Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch is um, that's going to be pretty heavy, <laughs> to say the least. That's going to be one hell of a throwdown if that's where they're going with this. But uh, yeah, I, I I think you raise a good point. The um, the end of the episode, tucking in the boys, saying goodbye to the boys, knowing that everything you created now has to go away. Uh, it's it, it was so powerful because, like we've all said, she created this world out of a a reaction to her grief and now at the end of this she's kind of to a certain extent reconciling herself with her grief or at least accepting it accepting what's reality what's not until the very end where you're like well maybe she hasn't really learned to accept it at all so i agree there it was heartbreaking and it was it was touching and it was one of those you know right up there with hawkeye and black widow their scene with the soul stone on vormir it's comparable to that sort of touching moment which um you know you, you don't see that too often in, in the comic book movies but they did that really well so you guys see wanda as sympathetic because i don't at all i see this bitch crazy oh, no. i mean <laughs> that's all i see and and the scene at the lab i forgot the the gentleman's name what was the guy's name that ran the lab and was tracking this whole thing the whole time what's his name oh hayward douchebag hayward yeah douchebag. well I mean, to be fair, though, when she goes to see the body of Vision and Hayward turns at her and says, and she's, she just wants to give it a, give him a proper burial, he says, I can't let you walk up out of here with $3 billion worth of vibranium just to stick it in the ground. Touche! <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if I'd it's say... I don't know if I'd say Wanda's sympathetic. There's, there's an aspect of her that, sure, you can empathize with what she's going through, absolutely, are you right that she's batshit crazy? Absolutely, Chris. She's batshit crazy. <laughs> um, it, it's it's the reasons behind that craziness that it, it makes the series kind of compelling as to why is she why is she become unraveled. But you know, when you really get into Wanda's history, which they scratch the surface of in this series, you realize she's always been kind of alone. She's always had stuff taken away from her. She's had to deal with a, a lot of loss. You know, she had to deal with Pietro, Vision, her own getting blipped out, you know, with, with the snap and that sort of thing. So is she unhinged? Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is, you know, when people come back from what Thanos did, are they the same people? Or are they fucked up? So something they think about in the future. See, I, I, I completely disagree with your opinion on her coming back, being part of what drove her crazy in the sense that it's the trauma of coming back. She wanted to go. That's why she's upset because the two of them had died and the best acting that Elizabeth Olsen does as Wanda, and she does a phenomenal job during this series, the look on her face when she dissolves 
is one of satisfaction, one of I'm going to be with the one I love. She's not scared. She's not sad. She's not upset. She wants to die. So when she comes back, she she's ripped back. And so she's not mad about Thanos. She She's mad about her loss. And I go back to this grief. I don't. I don't think anybody here necessarily is like, oh, poor Wanda, in the sense of, yeah, she's she's completely sympathetic. I think we're the vision. And there's that moment when we're still in the 80s, when the family ties one, when Vision's really figuring stuff out. And he's like, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. This is terrible. We're the vision. Because I think most of the audience is right there with him. And that's what I see out of Wanda at this point is that this is wrong. Well, that's her telling herself that it's wrong because that wasn't vision. That was her love of vision. And yet it still had some sentience, right? Like it's still going around making its own decisions. So how much of it was Wanda and how much of it is her or uh, is him? Like it's crazy, right? And even her statement, like you're you're the best of of me. Like I think you're onto something, Tony, but it's that's actually really ambiguous. And I think what is beautiful about the way that they did that. Well, then that ties into, like you're saying, the the showdown between Wanda's vision and what's left, White Vision. Um, the question I have for you guys that I wondered is, is, did Wanda's vision imprint or implant into the actual vision his memories and give him his memories back? Because he's out there somewhere, right? He flew off or I don't know what happened to him, but is that how they bring vision back? Because you know he's coming back. He's got to be coming back. He removed what was holding him back from accessing that information. So definitely he'll be back when we, you know, when he'll be back, he'll be back when we eventually get to Wanda. Now that leads me to being the big bad, right? Is the Scarlet Witch and vision. This could be movies from now, movies and movies. If they're smart, Wanda Elizabeth Olsen as a Scarlet Witch needs to be like all, if they're going to make her the big bad, it needs to be all of this and the next phase. Yeah, there's so much they can do with that. Just if they follow comic lore at all. So yeah, 100%. Go ahead, Platt. All this could have been avoided with a quick Uber ride to Bleecker Street. (laughs) All right, so let's get into that. All right, let's get into what's next. Because one of the big prevailing theories and rumors and, and what had been going around and has been confirmed on a couple of different sites is that Dr. Strange was going to make an appearance somewhere in this show, whether it was as a cameo, you know, maybe an after credit scene or whatever. The story has come out now that there was actually scenes filmed with Benedict Cumberbatch that ended up on the cutting room floor. So maybe we will see those at a different date. I didn't have time to share the links with you guys, but I did see it earlier uh, today. But Dr. Strange is mentioned as the Sorcerer Supreme when Agatha Harkness talks about the Scarlet, Scarlet Witch and we we end the series with two post-credit tags that are significant. One involving Monica Rambeau and space, and the other, the one that we've been talking about, where you see Wanda in the cabin in the woods, sipping tea in her jammies, and then they go into the cabin, and it turns out that that's really not Wanda. That's an illusion. They're probably meant to keep people away, while she is reading The Darkhold, which we know very little about in the MCU. And if there's one failing I have 
in my or that I that I feel the series didn't do well. It's explaining what the fuck the Darkhold was. It's a throwaway moment from Agatha being like, "It's the Darkhold. It says this." Blah 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 blah. Except it, audience, I we, they, I feel like there's more that needed to be done there because we know we kind of know this thing's bad, but like we just know one is reading a bad thing. It's kind of like so the. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, I, I apologize, Dave. Just uh, real quick, I wanted to ask you guys because Amber asked me this when we watched it yesterday, and I didn't have an answer for uh, that post-credit scene with Rambo. Amber was under the impression that she was going to go see Nick Fury. That's who she was going to go see because the, it was the scroll. The woman ended up being one of the scrolls, and the last time we saw Fury was Spider-Man: Far From Home. Turned out, it actually wasn't Fury. Fury's in space, chilling, taking a vacation, and it was Scroll Fury. But then at the end of far from home he's looking like okay it's time to get back to work so is that who she was going to see i, I didn't really have an answer for what do you guys think <laughs> go ahead pat i mean Don't with this sure stuff, <laughs> i mean with this something we talked about a lot in the chat was was you asked the perfect question Chris. was nick fury is is who is nick fury what is nick fury is go ahead pat is fury. so why is gamora no so here here's the thing I personally believe that the scroll that that shows up is sent by Nick Fury to take Monica up to this space station that we saw at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home because for a couple reasons. One, because we know Monica Rambeau is a big part of Captain Marvel 2 and her relationship slash friction with uh, Carol Danvers is going to be a big driving part of that show as she is either Spectrum, Photon, whatever, whichever of her monikers you want to run with. The question that, that we went back and forth on is whether or not Nick Fury is actually going to be in that movie. Right now, he's not listed as being in that movie. The next thing he's listed in being in as being in is Secret Wars, which is going to be the secret invasion storyline where scrolls have secretly infiltrated Earth. That led me to a theory that Nick Fury's been dead for a while and that the Nick Fury we've seen since basically uh, the end of Captain America Winter Soldier has been a scroll. Yeah, and at first I wasn't buying that theory, but the more I thought about it, the more I'm kind of jumping on board that in Winter Soldier, he's dead. And then the next thing you know, he's back. And we know there's scrolls out there. We know there is a Nick Fury scroll out there. And, and at the end of Infinity War, you know, he calls Captain Marvel because of her relationship with stuff. So yeah, it could be, it could be very interesting if we find out, Oh yeah, Nick's been dead since uh, he actually did die in winter soldier. These are scrolls all over the place. So as far as taking her to, I'm air quoting Nick Fury. Yes, I agree. I think they're taking Monica to Nick Fury, whether that's really Nick Fury or not subject to interpretation, which by the way, you think y'all speculated like crazy during WandaVision? Wait till we get to Secret Invasion and it's all about who the fuck is a scroll. Who's real and who's is, not, yeah. That, and I brought this up when we talked about it with Ray because Ray was like, oh, this is going to kick off Secret Invasion. It was like, I don't know that that's true. I think that if you remember how Secret Invasion kicked off in the comics, it's Spider-Woman dies, or not Spider-Woman, Elektra dies, and her body reverts to being a scroll and nobody knew that she was really a scroll. And then suddenly it's like, and the thing that was crazy about secret invasion that was just nuts is that the scrolls that are posing as the heroes 
don't know that they're scrolls until something triggers it. So they truly believe they are X, Y, and Z hero. And so it's depending on what they do with it and depending on how they introduce it, it could be really good. And I hope it's really good because that's a tough story to pull off, but I think it's one that could bear fruit if they do it right. I want to go back to like you were talking about the dark hold and that you wanted more out of that, that we didn't really get to me. I, I kind of look at that. Like maybe they're, they're fashioning it like the infinity stones, you know, you where you saw them, but you didn't really know what they were until they finally bring it all together. And then you're like, Oh shit, those are the infinity stones. We're going infinity gauntlet on this. So I, I'm hoping that Dr. Strange two is going to give us more backstory on what the dark hold is, why it's a problem, why Wanda reading from it is probably not a good idea. So I, I'm I'm hopeful about that. I, I do think this show is a launching point for Doctor Strange 2, absolutely. And probably Ca- Captain Marvel 2, maybe Secret Invasion down the line. I think I was the one who first suggested Secret Invasion. Ray kind of jumped on. Um, but I, I tend to agree with you now, Pat, that we're a ways away from there. You really need Captain Marvel 2 to, to generate that, oh shit, these guys are everywhere. And I think that's what we're going to get during that. But um, yeah, I mean... Who knows where we're going? It's funny to me because you guys are treating Wanda as if she's the inspector gadget of evil. Like she's just fumbling and bubbling her way into being the most powerful being in the universe. I don't know. That just makes me laugh. No, I think that her her hurt and rage is driving her to be evil and, and into these paths. Like I don't think she's making them. I think she's well aware of what she's doing. She is supremely confident at the end of that finale, right? Like she means business, like in the face. She she knows well, what she's doing. Well, that was my point when I asked you guys earlier right. if you find her to be sympathetic because I don't at all. No, Not I, even a little bit. I don't I don't excuse her behavior at all. It doesn't mean we can't understand her motivation, right? Like we understand why Loki does bad things. Okay. That's fair. But but Loki still does bad things. Well, like in the comics, Wanda she struggles with her own power as well. And, and and it's, you know, like in House of M, it's it's that that moment where she says no more mutants, where she fully realizes how powerful she is. And, and that that kind of builds through that series a bit. You know, I don't think we're going in that direction, but, I you know, Wanda knows she's powerful because she stood toe to toe with Thanos and was going to whoop his ass. So uh, I, I'm not sure she really realizes just how powerful she is and the extent of her power yet, but she's getting there and she's getting there fast. And I guess to be fair, man, to be fair, when she first started this Marvel journey, she was, what, 16, 17 years old? So, I mean, in essence, she's still a kid. She's about, what, canon-wise, what, 27, 28 right now? Yeah. Somewhere in there, yeah. I think that's pretty accurate. So, okay, I feel where y'all coming from. and, And we learned through the show she's always had powers, which is the other thing that they retconned to, to, I think, get us into mutants is that she's always had powers. She's special. And that's one of the things that allows us to see more people born with powers. You mean Tony, you've been mutants? quiet. You, you mean it? mutants, Pat? Mutants. Nothing? Nothing you good? Okay. Aha. Uh, Aha. Uh, what do you know from funny, you bastard? <laughs> All right. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. We, we, we sort of danced around that a little bit. To me, what now pushes Wanda further into this? By the way, she's she's Anakin Skywalker, right? Like, 
tortured, goes into the dark side, embraces it, wraps herself in it. And now it's going to be the impetus of the two children that she quote unquote lost that uh, has her pursuing. And I think messing with dimensions because I think she's hearing something from another dimension, another multi uh, universe or whatever. And so I don't know. Let your imaginations go wild. What do you want to see happen in Doctor Strange? Because it's supposed to be a horror-esque MCU film. Frankly, Dave, if all of this leads me to getting to see Tobey Maguire don the Spider-Man suit again, I'm here for it all. Let's rock and roll, baby. I don't think we're going to get that in Doctor Strange 2. I really don't. I I, I don't. I As to who they're going to introduce and, and what they're going to introduce, I... I don't know. That's I. What do you guys want to see in this thing? I mean, it's hard because oh, for, of. You know, so for the first time on this show, every time I come on this show, I'm like, everybody's throwing out wild theories. So I, I turn it over to you. And I'm like, give me wild theories. Nothing. Nothing. That's what you Tony. Nothing. Fantastic Four. That's I think I think that's where they get introduced is, is going to be in this in this thing. I think that's really shows up. Axel yeah. Asher. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> Check me. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Go ahead, Dave. Go I'm, ahead, sorry. Dave. I'm sorry. Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. Yeah, I, I think that's I, I a, um, a potential. Potential. You know, and and a reasonable potential to a reasonable reach to make, because you know that's coming. Um, I'd like to say X Men, but I I don't think so. I mean, unless maybe you dabble with Xavier trying to. I, it's so hard because Scarlet Witch is so tied to the X-Men that you almost want to go down that path, but it seems and it feels too soon for that. Um, but she's got to be integral to the introduction of mutants. I mean, she because she is one. Whether they're labeling her that way or not, she is a mutant, whether they call her that or not. So I, I think in Fantastic Four, X-Men, um, I mean, Doctor Strange 2 is going to be the horror elements. I, I'm just trying to think what out there could could really tie in to the horror stuff. I mean, I don't know, maybe symbiotes, that sort of thing. Oh God, don't do symbiotes. Please. No, we already got a Venom movie in a movie. And that's a carnage gonna... movie coming, coming. I'm not going to lie. That's what I was thinking. I mean, I joked a little bit about the Tobey Maguire thing, but yeah, that's what I was thinking. The, the symbiote, the little black thing. I could see something like that. The, the, the word, the name Jean gray keeps popping into my head as associated with the star Scarlet witch. But the Fantastic Four, why do they keep doing this? I mean, they've tried this three times before. No, no, if, you, no, if you include no. that shitty's nineties, we don't include Chris, the shitty's nineties iteration. Marvel hasn't done it yet. Shitty other companies have done it yet. Marvel <laughs> knows they they can do it right. That's See, why they're Spider-Man doing it. Spider-Man three, Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man two, and Sony. Yes, it's. So here's my thing. I, I, I'm interested to see whether or not the Fantastic Four can can be a movie that holds up on its own as opposed to characters that got brought in in another way. I, again, Marvel's done it with Thor. They did it with Captain America. Honestly, two characters that are questionable as to whether they could do standalone flicks and they, they made them stand up. Now, they failed on a Hulk movie like in terms of like in the grand scheme of things like the Hulk movie is not a great Hulk movie or movie, bad. but that's. Yeah, it's but it's not, not good. It's better than that Eric Bana travesty, that's for sure. See, now I low key like the Eric Bana one. We yeah. can fight about that I, another day. Oh, please, I didn't hate either please. one of them. <laughs> I didn't hate it, but as it is, it's fine. It's just the the best thing about the the MCU one is that we get 
a true knockdown drag out Hulk fight with him in the abomination. That's just dope to watch. But anyway, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if anybody new gets introduced in that way. I'm excited because it means we get to see Benedict Wong back in his role in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I also think we're going to get Baron Mordo back as a real Baron Mordo. He's already, uh, and I, I can't ever pronounce his name. Uh, GD et war some shit like that. My bad, yes, but, but yeah. he is amazing. He, he, He's an amazing actor. It, and here's one scratch the surface of that Mordo character. I, I think Mephisto, everybody was waiting for him in WandaVision. You could definitely see him in, in Doctor Strange, too. I'll throw somebody else oh, yeah, out there. Yeah, I'll throw or Nightmare. I'll throw somebody out there that they haven't talked about yet, but he would fit in with that horror theme they're going for. Ghost Rider. Yeah. Ghost Rider would be a possibility. They they do have the rights to Ghost Rider back now, too, so that's good. Only if it's Nick Cage again. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but again, I guess that puts us in a wait-and-see mode, and yeah, I, I always look forward to it, right? Like, I think that Marvel always does a pretty good job of putting a bow on something, but then giving you a taste of the next step, which is why it does it better. Why Kevin Feige is greater than JJ Abrams. So with that, I think that's I think we're going to close the book on WandaVision. Kevin Duckworth, Kevin Willis. These are all Kevin's greater than AJ Abrams. Okay. <laughs> My cousin, AJ, Kevin yeah. Van Horn, <laughs> Kevin, o- Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin McAllister. Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale. McHale. Okay. <laughs> Stop that. Stop that. That guy's a jerk. Anyway, so let that'll close the book on WandaVision. Any final thoughts once around uh, on the show as a whole? Uh, we'll start with Tony. I loved it. Like I said, I think the craziest thing is I hope there's more people that would never go ahead and watch something Marvel that went ahead and watched this series because someone told them to or because they had Disney Plus because it was just a television show that they could decide whether or not they wanted to get into, that I think you're going to see a lot more people that never were fans will become fans just because of this series. Platt. Shout out to Elizabeth Olsen and Katherine Hahn. We got a miniseries with two strong female protagonists-antagonists they were actually both at particular points in time. It just depends on you know what day it was. But it was nice to see two strong female leads get a role that they both could sink their teeth into. And it wasn't pandering. It, it wasn't cringy. It made sense within the storyline. And both of those women knocked it out to the park. Very good, very good. Dave, final thoughts on WandaVision. Yeah, first, shout out to Paul Bettany as well. And with all due respect to what Chris said about the women, Paul Bettany was fantastic in this series. I, I love the series. I, I thought it was so important because with the year that 2020 was and the pandemic and everything happening to Marvel and everything getting pushed to the back burner for them to come back this strongly at the end to show everybody we still know how to do this. And oh, by the way, it's not just movies. Now we know how to make, you know, serial periodic sort of stuff and make it compelling. It, it, it's it's hugely important because now they've really set the table moving forward where you're looking at Falcon and Winter Soldier, you're looking at Loki, and I'm looking at them both differently like, oh, I'm really looking forward to this because I know Marvel can do streaming series just as well as they do movies. So it was a huge success in that respect. Excellent. Oh, I, 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 I apologize, Pat. I just want to say oh, one ahead. more thing, man. 
because Dave brought up low key. So do you guys remember that Usher Little John song, Yeah, with Ludacris? Yeah. I, I need somebody out there, internet, hear me. I what? need somebody at the beginning of that song where what? Usher sings in the club trying to get a little B.I., keep it down on the low key. I need somebody to intersperse low key into that video at that particular point in time. It would be the funniest okay. thing that's ever happened. Somebody needs to figure out how to do that. So I'm putting it out into the universe. Please, yeah. internet. Yeah. Fellow mouth breathers, hear me. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 you can reach CP or Chris Platt at CP, C Platt. No, just... I agree 100% with everything that you guys have said. One of my favorite aspects of the show that I think gets overlooked is that it truly was a love letter to American television and American sitcoms from, you know, over history. And it was amazing to see the attention to detail in those tributes. And I would have loved to have seen so many more. There were so many other shows they could have touched on that were touchstones uh, of the various decades. And uh, it was just, it was a great idea. To, to put into play and to use Wanda's grief and her development and her descent into the depths that she descends into to be told through television uh, and through genres and decades was, was very smart, very clever. And I'm looking forward to, we got one week off and then Falcon and the winter soldier kicks off the following week. And it's going to be a whole completely different show, completely different show. And it's, I'm excited for it. Cause it's going to be, Looks like a, looks like a buddy comedy, a little bit of a buddy comedy, where yes, I, I will I will be titillated, if you will, by <laughs> by, the, by the show and and the possibilities of what we're going to get there. Because I think that's the other thing is this these first two series, it's multiple launching points for the next phase of Marvel, and this is another side of that coin. So more to come on that. We're going to take a quick commercial break soon, but before we go, I do want to say we're going to say goodbye to Christopher Platt. And for those of you who haven't yet, if you're listening on the ChairShot Radio Network, you need to get over there and check out the podcast that's being spearheaded by Mr. Platt that just dropped. It's a limited-run series reviewing all of the WrestleManias up to – uh, one through 36, and they're doing it in six installments. Uh, Old Man Ungar was one of the guest panelists with with Mr. Platt on the show. And before I let you go, Platt, I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about what this series is, what people can expect, and just, uh, just pump it up a little bit. So why don't you tell folks listening who may not know about that what we're doing over with this WrestleMania Rewind. Well, well, please, number one, thank you thank for your kind words. I, I really do appreciate it. I thought that the first episode came out pretty well myself. Uh, we've gone through a couple of title changes, and there's been a lot of uh, uh, <laughs> a lot of controversy behind the scenes about those. We'll just say that. But the the official title moving forward is going to be Mania Mad Madness. And as you said, it's a six part mini series. We're breaking down all thick thirty six WrestleManias in six parts. Uh, we're gonna have a revolving door of share shot guest and maybe a surprise or two there breaking those down and it it's really fun if you're into wwe if you're into wrestlemania period we we really dive in deep dives into the history and and a lot of the the context and stories behind the stories or the stories behind the manias and it was real fun so last week we had a uh, mr super dave ungar and aesop mitchell on the show and it was so nice we had to do it twice so they're going to be coming back this week as well to review WrestleManias 7 through 12. So look for that to drop every Friday on thechairshot.com. 
Excellent, excellent. And yeah, the only the only quibble I had was the AWA guy in me wanted to wanted to have words over over the Hogan thing because the the final linchpin for the record, friends, was the Swerve title change where Hogan quote unquote beat Bachwinkle and then they dusty finished it because Vergania didn't trust anybody except for Nick Bachwinkle. And that was the last straw for Hogan. Hogan saw that he was never going to be able to, he was never going to get a, a break from Vern Gagne and he said, fuck you. And he took his ball and went home. Other than that, loved your show. Vince, loved did, that. Vince he, did give him a nice new ball though. So, you know. Oh yeah. I mean, he, Vince said, I'm going to make you the guy and history was made, but we talked about it a little bit on the chair shot radio on Sunday. Dave and I did because we talked about it in, in sort of the respects to David Crockett and his passing and, and how that influence went, but thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a great walk through history. Hopefully I can get on one of those episodes and, and chat some WrestleMania with you guys as well. It's, it's a lot of fun. So put my name in the hat. Um, but before, and before we let you go, tell everybody where to find you and follow you and all that fun stuff. You guys can find me on Twitter at the real C plaid, but shit, you just, just go, what three man we Tuesdays we've got pot is war Thursdays we're doing this Wrestlemania anthology series now debuting on Fridays and who is we by the way the royal we oh it's not just it's not like we as in you and me it's just you kind of no we're not Falcon we are Falcon in the Winter Soldier aren't we <laughs> god damn <laughs> uh. <laughs> But yeah, I've met the royal we. I'm all over chair shot, man. And and again, I, I have to throw this plug in here before I get out of here. Uh, if you guys enjoy the content we provide day in and day out at the chair shop, make sure you guys go to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and pick up an official chair shot t-shirt. We've got something you're going to like. I guarantee it. And make sure you support your favorite website for news, reviews, opinion, and analysis with attitude. This one's for Pat. Please and thank you. Thank you and please. I thought you'd let him say it. Nah, nah, I'm okay. Let the original, let the original voice, the Velvet Pipes, drop that ad. I'm just happy now. I don't have to do it because he just saved me the time. So thank you very much, Christopher. Got to come back sooner rather than later. someday we'll do that. Do you hear, that? Do you hear that though? Do you hear that? All the bitches love Chris. They do. You got damn right they do. And I love all the bitches. <laughs> uh, all right. So that'll do it for Christopher Pipe today. When we come thank back, we are. Oh, I, one last thing before I let you go. My Patrick and Dad, one action movie from the 90s that you hope is on Dave, Tunney, or my list. Demolition Man. Uh, it was the science sci- fiction. Yeah, we moved it to sci-fi. That's not... Oh, y'all suck. Okay, okay. It, let me give it, you listen, more. Listen, 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 no. In, in the, in the, while you think, we did that in, in the... Uh, what I don't know the right word to use is in First fairness piece. to... And to allow more movies, like if we think one can go in one more category, we try to get as many movies in as possible. So not the, I mean, Matrix could be action, drama, sci-fi. All three could be number right. one if it wanted to be. So we just, this kind of explaining that to you. Here we go. I got another one. True Lies. Okay. God damn it. I guess that's all nobody says. I, that's my, my favorite. You ruined my tease. I had a tease all set up for you, and you just killed it. So, okay, True Lies didn't make anybody's list based on our lack of reaction. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's on a list, yeah. I, I got you. I got you covered, Chris. Don't worry. That's that's 20, Peak Schwarzenegger, man. I mean, it's it's T2. That's, you know, that's the Pantheon. And then it's True Lies. 
Where was he ever better other than that? He actually got to act a little bit in that one. Kinder, you know? Kindergarten had, cop, Chris. There oh, you go. yeah. Where's Dominic? It's okay. He's on the pony. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So thank you, Christopher Platt. When we come back, everyone, we will be running down that top 10 list, our top 10 action-adventure flicks of the 90s. We will be back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of thechairshot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Welcome to the night Welcome to the 90s, Mr. Bond. That's right, here we go. Jumping back into the 90s project. Tony, I saw you get a little excited. Is it is it safe to assume that perhaps something from that little intro may turn up on a list? Yeah, I'm thinking next week we may very much be talking about uh, parents and things they go through in a Steve Martin kind of way. Oh, that would be if we were talking about comedies next week, but we still got oh, horror to get through. Oh, that's right. Okay, two weeks. Comedy, comedy is last because we. I, I figured that would. I forgot about horror. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I have forgotten about horror. Be here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Now, whether, you know, sorry, I didn't have the live studio audience up and ready to go to, to laugh at your joke. My fault. My fault. My fault. Kind of scary. So, oh, God. Sorry, that, that, that one. We'll, we'll cheer it. We'll cheer it. Because I missed the booing. But anyway, <laughs> always good to have Christopher Platt on the show. And yeah, I, I respect it. He he expressed interest, but he's got his own podcast to work on. And and watching WrestleManias, watching them all in order. And and Dave, I know you've you're so old you just remember them in memory sitting on your porch. Back when I was a child, closed circuit television existed and we watched it in a movie theater. That's right. It had sound for a first time. We called them talkies. That is right. Patrick, I've I've watched all but one hour of the first twelve WrestleManias in wow, about the last eight, in about the last eight days. So I oh, you yeah, know what? I'm also on that Mania Madness show, by the way, too, just in case anybody wanted to know. 
<laughs> Somebody's not a little that, salty. Not that I'm imp- not like I'm importantly involved or any case, but let's move forward. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Yeah, so action adventure flicks. I got I gotta give full disclosure on this one. This one was hard for me because I think I forgot a lot. Like I forgot a ton of movies from the decade like and and i put my list together and had a lot of oh what about this one what about this one Ah, i don't know like and and it turned into this thing where i was like well if i've forgotten about it clearly it was not impactful enough to me to to like make my list so at the end of the day i ended up sticking with what i got but uh, i'm looking forward to this because i think i've got a couple that i feel pretty confident aren't on other lists in fact i got to make a change because i'm noticing one missing that I meant to switch. So full disclosure, my list is not entirely accurate to what I want to talk about. Gentlemen, what about you and making your list? How did it go? Go ahead, Dave. I, I, th- I have a feeling that this is going to be the episode where there is not as much overlap as previous ones, because in looking at your list, Pat, and I know you're modifying it and looking at mine and I haven't seen Tony's, it feels to me like adventure action adventure is more of a is more personal to us than some of the other categories and some of the other categories have got universal titles that we all love this one i mean like your list has got stuff that was on my sci-fi list and and and, and stuff that i looking at my list like god that really could have been a drama but ah fuck it i'm just going to go with what i have because it it does have an action element so i it was it was a different list to put together it was equally difficult I have a feeling, though, this is going to be the one with the least overlap between the three of us. I think that's possible. I think that's a pretty good way to describe it. Tony, what about you? I, honestly, when I started to go, I kept the same routine that I've been doing. You know, a few days before we get to the show day, I, I kind of research a little bit just to look at stuff, but don't start writing anything down until the morning of. And it stays fresher in my head. And this one, I was honestly like, okay, this is going to be easy. I, I don't really think that there's too much that I'm going to have a conflict with. And I kept my normal routine and next thing you know, I had more shows written down to narrow down to the top 10 than I did in any other category we'd had before. So maybe in not being so sure about the category, it made it a little tougher for me. I was like, you had a little bit of a a situation with like Bray did back when we did the family where he just had movie after movie after movie that he, and that was mostly because that was his childhood and, and bringing that up. But yeah, I, uh, I was surprised that I didn't have more. Like my list was small and then had a couple that popped into mind later. That I was like, Oh yeah, that came out in the nineties. and was pretty good. But, uh, this week's order is, um, we're back to the top of the order at, so to speak, to use baseball parlance. And Tony is going to be kicking us off leading off today. Dave will be second with rave being absent. Uh, I will be bringing up the rear as it is, but going third, same rules as always. If we do have a if we do have a match higher on our list, make sure everybody knows. And with that, we'll go ahead and get rolling. Tony, why don't you lay your number ten on the audience? My number ten is a little movie starring John Travolta and Nicolas Cage called Face Off. Nobody. Nope. All right. I I enjoyed it. I, I know it's probably not cinematically or or story. Uh, written story-wise the greatest movie of all time but at the time these are two of the biggest stars in the entire world uh john travolta's daughter had a really nice ass 
And uh, I think Gina Gershon was in this movie as well. So I, I enjoyed it. It's a fun movie. It's something that's completely different at the time. And I thought everybody involved did a good job at making it a fun action movie with a little bit of suspense. Here's why, Here's it's, not why it's not a Because I had because to choose, had to choose three Nicolas Cage action movies. And I dropped two of them. And so Nicolas Cage is later on my list. but And it was tough because this is a John Woo film. It's very, it is very, it's very well done. It's very slick. Nicolas Cage is, in my opinion, the better of the two in the movie. Like, I loved his Castor Troy and then the way he portrayed Sean Archer in that, in that flip. And it was just so great. And I loved it. Whereas Travolta was great and I enjoyed him as well. But uh, there was the very end of the movie when he brings Troy's kid in. And he looks at his wife, uh, Joan Allen, by the way, Eastern Illinois University graduate Joan Allen. Or no, sorry, attendee. She left school. She didn't she didn't graduate. Nobody, nobody famous actually graduated from EIU. But he looks at her with his kid and he looks at her like he's asking if we can adopt a puppy. Like, can we keep him? And she's like, Okay. And that's how they take on Castor Troy's child. Uh, but no, excellent, excellent choice and a great way to kick it off, in my opinion. Uh, my number 10 is the disaster movie that uh, <laughs> basically eviscerates Los Angeles. It's Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, yeah, not the not the greatest movie in the world, but I always always like this movie. It, geologically, it makes absolutely no sense, but it's just a lot of fun with all the stuff going on. And and it's got that great scene where the guy sacrifices himself walking through the lava to save his buddy. Uh that was cool. It, it It's just, you know, when you look at this movie, which is similar to Dante's Peak, I never liked Dante's Peak that much. This movie had a lot more personality and soul to it than, than I, I thought. It's over the top like a lot of the 90s adventure movies are where, yeah, you know, this big wall of lava is coming. Let's throw up these concrete highway dividers. That'll stop it. It works, you know, until they dump a lot of water on it and turn it into, you know. Yeah, if you ever been to the La Brea Tar Pits, you realize how asinine this whole concept is. But it was just a fun movie, and and I I liked it a lot. So it's number ten on my list. We were obsessed with disaster movies in the nineties. Yeah, I got another one coming. <laughs> like I don't. You could. You, I, is that where it started? Do you think? Because it continues into the two thousands pretty heavily. Oh right? yeah, totally, totally. But yeah, and it was funny because we talked about this back when we did science fiction. And we and somebody, Dave, did you have Armageddon on your list? I did back in the science fiction one so it wasn't just that we were obsessed with disaster movies like they seem to come out in pairs right so you had armageddon and deep impact which funny story i i think i, I talked about this i like deep impact better than i liked armageddon and and in this you had dante's peak and volcano and it they just they would always have these sort of like there was just this run of disaster movies and it was if you this is what i love about film and science fiction and action are both kind of relevant to it. They kind of reflect the concerns at the time because a lot of geological concerns were popping up in the 90s. Like that really became part of a, a consciousness within the public. And that makes money, right? So then people watch it and then they're like, can this happen? And that isn't politics and news taking a page from that too? I mean, isn't that oh, yeah. all the same thing, right? It's all the business of show. Excellent. So, by the way, guys, I don't think that it, uh, very many of our films are going to be Oscar winners on this list. I think that there, there's always a level of, oh boy, because my number 10 is the Antonio Banderas-led vehicle, The Mask of Zorro, which is 
Nope, not higher on Tony's list. Led by Antonio Banderas and also expecting us to believe that Sir Anthony Hopkins could be a Mexican Spaniard. Uh, Not the best of decisions for the 90s. But in terms of an adventure flick, in terms of a movie that introduced us to Catherine Zeta-Jones, I thank you. I I thank you. Uh, But it's... A lot of my early adventure movies, uh, a couple of these, and I, I firmly put this in adventure. It's just kind of fun. Like, it's ridiculous. It's over the top. It has terrific action set pieces, though. Great. Uh, some fun swordplay choreography. A lot, Just good stuff, and I enjoy it. And, and you get a glimpse of Antonio Banderas as a bona fide star. Banderas has a lot of the Nick Cage going on. They, The two of them, oh, yeah. along with you know a few other people... But like the two of them basically solidified them. So, well, maybe Cage '80s too. But man, I, it's just yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get to a lot of doubling up of of, of actors. And, I mean, like, well, Pat raises a good point right off the bat. A lot of these movies, like Oscar worthy, no, but they are just fun. Volcano was fun, absurd, but fun. You know, how many how many action movies win the Oscar? Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's like Very. Lord of the Rings, maybe. <laughs> And I can't stay awake long enough to actually watch that movie because I've never made it past the first half an hour because any, it's so any, fucking boring. Anyway, Pat, on to your number nine on that note. Fuck. Those, those are fighting words, you piece of shit. Like, you might have to get off the bandwagon. My number, my number nine is also an adventure movie that I found just to be fun, and that's The Mummy, the Brendan Fraser-led mummy. Higher on David Ungar's Ever list. Ever so right. slightly. So Dave, move on to number nine. My number nine, this is interesting. So there are a plethora of chick flicks out there, right? I mean, many, many of them. Dude flicks where, where are, are very, just go with me. Dude flicks are very limited. There's like three that I can think of. Top Gun's one of them. I Love You Man's another one. Point Break is my number nine. And that's the, that's just, it's it's a dude flick. It really is. It, it is. It is just about this bonding between these two guys and, and Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves and Keanu's got to bring him in, you know, he's got to bring him in, but he kind of goes to the dark side a little bit at the end. And it's just, again, over the top, a lot of fun. It's just one of those movies that, yeah, as a guy, you're like, okay, (laughs) I got to watch it. So it point breaks number nine for me. It was my number 14. It, It has some great action in it and it's a decent story. Go ahead, Patrick. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Keep talking. I got to look something up real quick. I mean, oh, okay. Thank God. Thank God. I thought thought, that was in the 2000s. No, 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 no. I thought I I was thinking of Patrick Swayze movies and Patrick Swayze action movies. And I was like, did I forget Roadhouse? Oh, that's the 80s. 89, 1989. It was really close. I was about to chastise myself for forgetting Roadhouse. That would have beat this out by a long shot, but. Don't mess with Dalton, man. Sorry, go ahead, Tony. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, That's what I was doing, though. The, the action and the bank robbing and, and the president masks and everything else is just really what you remember about this movie. And then, like Dave said, the the kind of relationship between Swayze and Keanu Reeves. And at the time, it's very much a passing of the torch kind of thing where Swayze's on top, you know, Reeves is on his way up, and, and it's really cool, you know. And, and, and if you're a sports fan, you get the football shit going on with it, too, and yeah, I, it's my number fourteen. And the way he, the way it ends, where he lets him ride that big wave at the end, he knows he's going to die. Go out on your own terms, man. That's fine. Another another name that you just mentioned that kind of fits in with that category you were talking about, Tony, is Keanu Reeves. Like he, he's had a plethora. I'm sure there's at least one other Keanu Reeves action movie on somebody's list. No, so I think 
I think when you get into the next decade, you might get a few more action movies from Keanu Reeves as well. So true. My my other fun Point Break story that I love to tell is I was watching The Fast and the Furious with my wife one day, and she just kind of looks at me as we're watching the the movie, and she's like, "So it's just Point Break with cars." And I was like, yeah, pretty much. It's point break with cars. Like, you got it. So, yeah, actually, no, nothing wrong with a little point break. Tony, why don't you give us your number nine? My number nine is a movie I've seen in the movie theaters. And it's an action movie starring Meryl Streep and Kevin Bacon. And it's called The River Wild. And it is a phenomenal movie. If you have never seen it, there are so much. It, maybe it might be some more suspenseful and drama-filled but there is a ton of action, and it's really well done. John C. Riley is in this movie as well. To me, it, I mean, I, it, it's one of the most underrated, unspoken about movies ever. I, I, it's thoroughly entertaining if you've never seen it before. No, that's a great flick, and one that I wish I'd thought of. That's a that's a terrific choice. I, I can't find fault with that. I mean, if you haven't seen it, a young Benjamin Brad is in there, Elizabeth Hoffman, John C. Riley. I said before, it's basically about a mother and son getting kidnapped by two guys. And they're in doing so, they're going to run these rapids as opposed to any other way. Um, I might be missing a little bit of the story I haven't seen in a while, but it's Meryl Streep. It's fucking really, really good. Trust me. Oh, yeah. I, I I'm on board. You. I trust you, Tony. Have you seen it, Dave, or no? I have not seen this one, no. I'm not oh, a big no, Meryl Streep fan, so that might have been what turned complete, me off. Completely different role for her. I oh, honestly think you would out. enjoy the movie. It's it's a very, very good fact, movie. I will check it out. Excellent. My right. number my number eight. Um, I put it in this category to leave a little bit room for two weeks from now. And I figured <laughs> that one gentleman needed to be if any gentleman needed to be on the action list, it was Jackie Chan. So Rush Hour is my number eight action movie. I don't know if you guys, you guys are kind of nodding as in like, oh, no, yeah, 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 it's yeah. more comedy, but like for me, it leaves another spot for comedy next week. Um, two weeks, things that two weeks, two weeks oh, God damn it. I'm going to write a comedy horror next week. Um, Jackie Chan finally gets uh, the biggest audience he's ever had in America, particularly with, with the involvement of Chris Tucker and the chemistry that these two guys have is amazing. And the action is phenomenal because the comedy and the relationship between these two guys as a buddy movie really makes the action that much better. And you're intent on figuring out what's going to happen, how they're going to get through this. And, and through thick and thin, Jackie Chan finds a way. And Chris Tucker finds a way to talk them out of any situation they get into. Very true. Very true. When you talk when you about talk Jackie Chan, you know how I'm a big fan of Bruce Lee. Like I've talked about Bruce Lee on more than one occasion. Jackie Chan was in Bruce Lee's final flick. Jackie Chan carried on the mantle of a lead martial artist in China and really found his niche in the industry in those kung fu comedy sort of roles. And and not that not that it's like straight up funny, like everything's goofy, but like his like Legend of the Drunken Master. That's it's a comedy as much as it is anything. You talked about Rush Hour. Um, God, there's so many. The Tuxedo um, is another Jackie Chan movie. Just, uh, and, but it's all like he he does this like fish out of water sort of martial artist thing, and then his work with props is so 
unparalleled. The way he like he can he can the fight outtakes. a broomstick. The outtakes. Yes. If you watch the outtakes, the way he does things where stunts were set up and he he's made basically the one telling them this is how it's going to look really cool. I have this chair and I'm going to kick you through it and then I'm going to break it apart and I'm going to hit this other guy overhead with this side of it and that side of it. And I just want to say Jet Li is another guy who doesn't get enough yeah, attention yeah. in the 90s and we might get into him in the 2000s. But another shout out to somebody who's doing just as amazing work as well. Yeah, excellent, yeah, excellent, excellent. So, uh, so uh, my number eight was Patrick's number nine. It's the mummy, the Brendan Fraser classic, the mummy. Uh, I don't know. Classic, maybe going a bit too far, but it's a fantastic no, movie. I call it classic. Okay. Well, we can go with classic. Brendan will appreciate that. Uh, you know, when you look at the original mummy from what the thirties and then what they did with this movie and, and the reboot of it, and they did such a great job telling the story of Emotep and, and why he was such a bastard, you know, and why he got the unforgivable, you know, the curse on him for sleeping with the Pharaoh's uh, wife and that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, Brendan Fraser was another guy in the nineties who kind of just caught fire for a little while there. And, and this movie, as far as remakes and, and everything about this, um, who was the girl? It wasn't Rachel McAdams. What was her? The, oh, it was Rachel Weiss. Rachel Weiss. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, she was awesome in this. Um, her brother, I, see, I can't remember these actors' names. He was fantastic as well. It, it's just funeral. Yeah. Yes. That he's, guy. He's right. And he was, um, it's just really, really done well. And, and the little Weasley shit that he gets into it with, um, I, I wish I could remember these guys' names. But uh, it's just a really well done movie. It's it's a great retelling of the story, um, you know, and and how they how they prevail in the end. It's fantastic. So yeah, I know it's nine on yours, number eight for me. Fantastic action so, movie. In the world of film, people desperately wanted a fourth Indiana Jones movie, and this movie is an Indiana Jones movie done up in the in the in the ways of the mummy. Uh, with with some slight differences, with Rachel Weisz being the archaeologist as sort of knowledgeable character, and then Brendan Fraser sort of taking on the action side of it, and it was just it, again, it's another one of those that I would just describe as fun, and it's an adventure, like it's an adventure. We go all over Egypt, we start in London, and we go to Cairo, and and we're doing this this adventure, and there's peril, and there's supernatural, and it's everything that made. Indiana Jones movie special until they fucked it up with the fourth one. And so to have like, that was what I, I always loved. It made the mummy great was, was terrific. So excellent choice, Dave. And, and the, way, was awesome. the way Emotep gradually becomes corporate corporeal, you know, where he comes starts off right. as a mummy and then his features, the more he eats and consumes life force, he becomes who he was. It's, it's really cool. I'll just Excellent. say I was lucky. I was lucky enough to see this in the movie theater as well, and it's it's an adventure. It's such an adventure that you feel involved in while sitting in the movie theater. That's what I took away from it. Epic shots of Egypt, just just some great shots uh, of the landscape. So terrific, terrific choice. My number eight goes to another side of of the action adventure and goes dark which is funny with as much as I make fun of the MCU and dark stuff. And that is uh that is the crow. Brandon Lee's the crow, a story of a man who's murdered, who come a man who's murdered. He and his wife are murdered or his fiance. I can't remember if they'd actually gotten married, uh, are murdered in cold blood. And a year after his death rises from the grave 
to exact revenge. This could have arguably been horror because of, of just how dark and gothic the whole thing is. It's a revenge tale. It's sadly where we lost Brandon Lee in a tragic accident during filming. It, a career just cut short and is heartbreaking. And if you want to learn a little bit more of that, check out the 30 for 30 documentary Like Water, where they talk about that a little bit after talking about Bruce Lee's life and just how the two lives sort of mirror, mirrored each other. But it's, you know, it's a tale of love, sadness, revenge, and the supernatural. And it's it's very well put together and great. And it sucks that we lost Brandon Lee in the, in the making of that film. It made my top 25. What I remember from it mostly is the vibe it gave off and how yeah. artistically well it came across. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and a lot of that is kudos to Brandon Lee and the way he played his character. Um, I, I enjoyed it as well. Very, very, very much so. My number seven is the first of two movies brought to us by this director, Robert Rodriguez. My second one is later. Well, my first one is From Dust Till Dawn. This is a movie that was directed by Robert Rodriguez. This is another one that I considered saving until horror because it involves vampires. However, the vampires and the horror aspect it are so secondary to just batshit crazy action throughout the whole movie that I just couldn't do it. The other thing that I love about this movie is for an hour, if you know nothing about this movie, you have no idea it's about vampires. It's it's crazy. Follows George Clooney and his brother um, as uh, Seth Gecko and his brother, who I can't remember, but is played by Quentin Tarantino. They're a pair of criminals trying to make their way into Mexico to hide out where they're meeting a contact. They're directed to go to this bar that is a trucker bar for them to just sort of, sort of hide and wait overnight because it's open from dusk till dawn. Little do they know that they're walking into a den of vampires and that every night the truckers that show up at this place are eaten by the vampires. Like they're fed by the fed to the vampires and hell, all hell breaks loose. It's got Harvey Keitel. It's got Salma Hayek. It's got, um, God, um, Juliet Lewis. It's bonkers. The movie is just Cheech Marin. It, and that's, I guess that's the only way I can do it. It's just bonkers. And I love it. It's just over the top. Not a lot of thought involved. It's totally worth the time, and I strongly recommend you all check it out. It's almost like two movies in one. It really because like the first half, like you're saying, is all action adventure. Second half, pure horror. Really, if you really dig down deep into it, but, but it's, it's horror with guns. Like it it's just like it is. Like the vampires are all over the place. And there's but and there's also an element of humor involved. Right. It's hilarious. But you hit it on like the head. A- you hit it on the head. That first hour, you're like you you have no reason to suspect this is a vampire movie, and then yeah, it, it feels like fiction. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe that's Tarantino's influence. So, um, right. My number seven is, and I'm surprised people get this one confused with a different movie. It's the uh, Robert De Niro film Ronin. That um, mm. a, a lot of people think it's 47 Ronin. I'm like, no, that's a completely different movie. This one has is notorious for some of the best car chase scenes ever, especially the last one where they're going the opposite way in traffic, and you get like. It's almost like you're driving an F-120 as you're trying to get around all the cars coming the other way. It's not the easiest plot to follow just because you're never really sure, okay, what is De Niro? Who is he affiliated with? What's his backstory? They never really tell you that, but it doesn't really matter. There's a lot of action. There's some gunfights. There's, you know, Katarina Witt, the famous figure skater, gets gunned down on the ice in the middle of this whole thing. Um, 
It's got a lot of good action. It's the car chase scenes that really put this on the map for me. So it's number seven for me. It's really good. If you haven't seen it, go check this one out. I'll add it to my to-do list. I've honestly, I've never seen it. It's a really, I I just can't add anything to it. It's been so long since I've seen it, but it's, it's worthwhile. It's another one of those movies, right? Like folks, if we're saying a movie that's on our top 10 list here, I'm not trying to toot anybody's horn here, but there's probably something worthwhile checking out there if you haven't seen it before. Excellent. Well, Tony, it's to you, man. Number, number seven. seven. Um, I wanted to include a Die Hard movie here. So I, I thought include, about including the one you're going to include. I included, I hope I hope we picked the same one. I included Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yep. Excellent. Hey, Zeus. Hey, Zeus. I just love the story they told. I felt like I was thinking about a lot more things than I was in the previous ones, to be honest with you. I love the premise of robbing the Federal Reserve Bank flooding the tunnel, the school is a ploy, you got to type this thing going on here. Like everything that happens in that movie, I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, I had to, I had to put a diehard movie on, on here be, just because it's, it's one of the greatest actions. It might be the greatest action series of all time. And, and, you know, I'm a big Brooklyn nine, nine fan. So I appreciate all the diehard references there. It's not Hey Zeus. It's Hey Zeus. You know, Father of Apollo, King of the Gods, don't piss me off or I'm going to shove a lightning bolt up your ass. Zeus. Best part of that movie. All right, turn it around to your number six. Turn the corner. Number six, Passenger 57. All right. Wesley Snipes, really good movie. Lots of suspense, lots of action, lots of drama. Always bet on black, right? I mean, one of the most infamous lines in movie history. I don't really have much else to say about it, but I really enjoyed the film and was such a huge time for Wesley Snipes. We talk about Cage and Travolta and everybody else. Wesley Snipes kicked ass in the 90s. So I really enjoyed Passenger 57. That that was my number six. Very nice. Good cool. call. David. My number six is the second batshit crazy disaster movie on my list, and it's Twister. So uh, Made my top 25. I, look, I mean. We've got cows. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, look. I got to go, David. We've got cows. Exactly. And, and, and look, here's the thing, folks. Just, you know, if you were ever caught in a tornado, being in a Dodge pickup truck is probably not going to protect you, but it does in this movie. So um, there's a lot wrong with this movie from a meteorological oh, standpoint, yeah. but it is just so much fun. And, and, and it does, it, it brought at a time where storm chasing was just kind of becoming en vogue. And they kind of brought this in and you're like, and the special effects, nobody had brought tornadoes to life like this. I mean, that scene where they're going across the bridge and you've got the twin sisters, the water spouts going and the cows are everywhere. I mean, you never seen anything like that before. Uh, you know, Helen Hunt was fantastic in this. Wasn't this Bill Paxton? Rest in peace. Bill Paxton. Uh, Karen Carey is the asshole other scientist. Yes, exactly. He was there. Uh, Jamie Gertz, who was uh, his girlfriend, who ends up kind of like, you know, just realizing that she's the odd person out. Um, you know, the steak and egg scene at, at the aunt's house is just like, yeah, who wouldn't want to go and do that sort of thing? So it's crazy. I mean, the stuff at the end where they tether themselves to these pipes going underneath and, and get to look up into the middle of the tornado. I think you would have been ripped to shreds a long time ago. But hey, it's a movie. Let's go with it. Um Van Halen had a great soundtrack. It, it just it introduced the whole concept of storm chasing and did it in such a way that you're like, wow, that's really impressive what they did. It's just always been I went to see it with my mom. It was one of her favorite movies. So 
it ranks high for me. Twister, number six on my list. I think, like you mentioned, and we talked about before, hitting, like, the 90s started to trend more so, and, and I'm sure they did it in to a point in, in the 80s, but of capturing what was going on at the time and quickly involving the new uh, visual effects they could. This is a movie you couldn't have done before this, right? And then Helen Hunt was one of the biggest female stars in the world at the time. So, yeah, I, I top 25, definitely. Good call, Dave. Yeah. Like I, like I said, films often are a reflection of their times. I'm literally watching, I'm watching a 1950s movie that, um, War of the Worlds, the, the 1950s version of War of the Worlds, which is nothing if not an allegory for the Cold War and concerns about nuclear war and using H.G. Wells' book to do it. So always, always connected to the consciousness of the country, I think, in, in films and science fiction and action really and we'll talk about this next week with horror, too. It's just all done in different ways. My number six, right, six, is The Boondock Saints, which is a Troy oh. Duffy film from 1990. Oh, I can't believe I missed this. This would have been in my top five. Fuck, I'm sorry. Go ahead. God I, uh, I, uh, I distinctly I remember, remember the first time I ever saw this movie. My best friend in college was like i keep hearing about this this boondock saints movie i don't know much about it and he's like but i really i want to find it and see if we can watch it and we looked everywhere for it like video stores weren't didn't have it didn't have it he eventually bought it and i remember watching the story of these two irish brothers who are probably illegal immigrants <laughs> working in a meatpacking plant in boston who see their bar that they love to go to in the irish part of boston being bought out by the russian mafia and these two uh, muscle men come to kick them all out and take over the bar about a week early on St. Patrick's Day. And it's a very cleverly done movie in the way that it's shot because the scene would always lead up to some sort of action sequence. Then they go away and you would always catch the aftermath. And you would it starts with Boston PD there, but eventually the feds are brought in, the FBI, and there's this agent, Agent Smecker, played by Willem Dafoe, who comes in and he investigates, he looks around at the crime scene and he explains what happens based on the evidence he sees as he's walking around the room. And he he picks on one of the detectives that's that's there, Detective Greenlee. He keeps sending him off to get coffee and bagels every time his guesses are wrong. And, it, and every time he explains what happens, that's when you see the action sequence. And every time he goes along, he gets shot a little bit different. And it's just, it's a crazy movie. And a cat blows up. And it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, at one point, you're sitting around a table, and dude hits a, hits the table with his fist, and a gun goes off and shoots a cat. It's hilarious. It To me, it's a precursor to, like, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, to Magnolia, Um Norman Reedus is in this movie, yep. Walking Dead fans. Uh, the scene where Willem Dafoe inspects the crime scene where the opera kicks in, where he's listening to that, is I, I am so pissed off at myself right now for forgetting to put this on my list. Patrick, great fucking call. I, I, I lo- I'm going to probably watch this movie tonight. I am so mad at myself right now. If you haven't I'm seen this, save it for next week. You have to watch this movie. Do not watch it with your kids or a squeamish wife, but it is excellent. Next weekend is St. Patrick's Day weekend. I will be watching the Boondock Saints next weekend. You know weekend. what? I'll save it. And much like I watch um, Planes Trains for Thanksgiving, I'll make this in honor of Patrick O'Dowd. 
saving my ass on this podcast, I will watch that for St. Patrick's Day. I got to add this to my list of things to watch. You've never seen the Boondock Saints? I have not. Oh, dude. Amazing. Don't watch the sequel. The sequel is trash. But the original is good stuff. Uh, One last follow-up to that. This movie is the one that I uh, altered my list with because I had originally written Independence Day, which we had talked about earlier. I was like, wait a second. I meant to put the Boondock Saints in in place of Independence Day because we covered it back in the sci-fi edition. My number five, we talked about Wesley Snipes. I'm bringing Wesley Snipes back for the first, the original, the OG comic book movie to bring comic book movies back, and that is Blade. Blade, again, you want to talk about a batshit bonkers movie that also could have been horror, as it's a horror comic. Blade is it. And Stephen Dorff as the as the the vampire um, Deacon Frost, or yeah, Deacon Frost is, is hilarious. He just chooses sinks his teeth into this role he overacts it with gusto it's beautiful it's wonderful and i my favorite moment in the whole movie is when he's talking to the board of like really old vampires and he's like why are we so protective of these humans they're our fucking food and you know starts to lead his little revolution and you know it spawns multiple sequels that are just as batshit crazy and bonkers but blade is the original and it's it's great i love it can't say enough about it. If you haven't watched Blade, or if you haven't watched it in a long time, go back and watch it. It's it has aged surprisingly well, in my opinion. It's uh it, one of a couple of movies that we covered on the Nerd Review that I know we're going to talk about on this countdown. So great call. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was on my short, like my very short list of honorable mentions. Yeah, you, good. I agree. Great call. So um, that was your number five, right, Pat? So my number five is the movie I played poker face with Christopher Platt on earlier when he asked about it. And it is true lies. I've got true lies at number five. Um, I mean, he mentioned T2 and T2 is really a sci-fi movie. Whereas true lies is pure action adventure. Arnold at his best. I mean, another guy, it is prime in the nineties. Um, this movie's got it all. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis's performance is iconic to say the least, but the whole con and, um, Tom Arnold. Was he ever better than he was in this movie? Probably not. Cause he was fantastic in this whole thing. So I, at true lies has just got it all. I mean, it's got action. It's got adventure. It's got intrigue. It's got a little bit of romance thrown into it. It's just, um, it is the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie of the nineties for me right there with T2. So yeah, I had it number five for me. I seen it in the theater as a, what, whatever year that was, that was teenager, almost a teenager. So a certain part of that was excellent. Um, <laughs> uh, Jamie Lee Curtis looked as good as she ever did, but it's a fun movie, right? It, it really is a fun, fun action movie uh, to watch. And uh, I, I have no problem with it being in your top 10. Yeah. Good call. Jamie Lee Curtis awkwardly trying to do a pole dance and seduce Arnold Schwarzenegger is just one of the funniest things ever, particularly when you compare how great she was in trading places, being ridiculously sexy the whole time. And you're like, but I know you can do this, Faker. Loved it. Good stuff. Wasn't that Bill Paxton is in this one as well? Wasn't he the Weasley little he is, he's asshole? The, he's the Weasley. Like, he keeps lying about being a spy. Yeah, about being a spy. And then they take like him out. <laughs> they take him out to the make bluffs. Him himself. Him. Exactly. So fucking awesome. Right. Hardy was uh, still making good action movies back then, by the way. Yes. My number five yep. is Patriot Games with Harrison Ford. Um, I have a different Harrison Ford movie on my list. 
I also have that movie on said list. So it was another continue. And, and Harrison Ford did some other really good things too as well. Uh, I think he had another movie. Air Force One. Air Force One, yeah. The Con Air and Air Force One I kind of glumped together all the time, unfortunately. But it's it's just a fun, not fun, but it, it keeps you going the whole time. Like my stepdad, he, he doesn't watch many movies. And if they're really good and keep your attention all the way through – like, this is one of his favorite movies. So it's one of those things where if you're not a big movie person and you want something that's going to hold your attention, like, this has it going on. I mean, a former, I believe, CIA, uh, he stopped some kind of terrorist attack by the IRA, and then his wife and daughter get hurt being kidnapped, and he rejoins the CIA to find them. And there's so much suspense in this film. I, I just, big fan of Patriot Games. To me, one of Harrison Ford's best movies. I can't no argument there. No, no yeah. argument. Uh, bringing it back, number four, I have Enemy of the State. Not higher, I was not just no. looking that movie up. Uh, Will Smith, um, Gene Hackman, I think John Voight is in the movie as well, and it's just a lot of back and forth, who's who, what's what, and Will Smith does a great job. It's really one of his most underrated roles. Uh I would highly suggest you watch it if you haven't seen it before. It is is easily in my top five, and it's it's really entertaining. I know I'm not going deep on a lot of story here. I didn't really look this one up, but I knew that when I had seen that and watched it, it's just really well done. A lot of government intelligence behind the scenes. I believe Will Smith is uh, gets in trouble and is blackballed and need Gene Hackman help or something like that going on down there. Yeah, that was a good one. I didn't think about that. I probably should have, but... Uh, so my number four is going to be higher on Patrick's list, and it is the other nerd review movie that we kind of mentioned. It's The Rock. So I know that's higher up, higher on everybody's list. Perfect. On to Patrick for his number four. So I've started playing this new game where after I make my list, I decide I want to watch the number one movie on my list. Unfortunately, when I tried to find the number one movie on my list on streaming, it's not on any streaming service which then prompted me to go to my local library and immediately put the movie on hold. Instead of that movie, you get my number four, which was Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, the first Mission Impossible movie in a franchise that has made him a boatload of money. And long before he would start doing these ridiculous stunts, he did this, he did this flick, which at the time that it was released... I thumbed my nose at because I was a big fan of the show. And Dave, you can probably back me on this. The show was never about an individual. It was about a team and the team working together to, to solve a mission. And I feel like I was a little unfair to the movie because the second you get the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie and one, this all-star cast that they put on the team, Emilio Estevez is on this team. Kristen Scott Thomas, who at the time was as hot as any actress in cinema was in this movie as part of the team john voight's in that movie the whole team except for tom cruise's character gets wiped out and i'm like well shit what are they gonna do with this movie and so i was really hard on it but in re-watchings and what you know later on you get a team with ving rames and like a different team starts to do the heist right but it's this great blend of action and intrigue uh i I liked it better than the Bond movies that came out at the time because I thought about putting GoldenEye on my list and GoldenEye might be on somebody's list. I don't know. But like I thought about doing Bond movies, but this was a better Bond movie 
in my opinion. And everybody remembers the the high wire scene where he's dangling over the computer and there's all these different parameters of things he can't do to trigger the alarms. You can't let your temperature get too high. You can't put any pressure on the floor. You can't make too much noise. And when he almost gets dropped and then he's sweating and he's, and he's running down his glasses and he catches it on his glove, which is ridiculous, but he catches it on his glove before he gets pulled up and is able to get the disc with the with the list of, of agents that, that he's trying to, to leverage. It's, it was great. And it was the forebear of this wildly successful franchise. And actually, I have a lot of respect for Tom Cruise as an actor, Scientology notwithstanding, because of his willingness to do great stunts in this franchise to just he he's willing to put himself out there and do a lot of uh, a lot of crazy stuff and this movie it's fun it's a lot of it's a lot of great action i enjoy it thoroughly you could see the influence of this movie on like the oceans franchise you know i mean oh heist flicks totally yeah um so yeah so that's my number four my number three uh you just mentioned it and i don't know if it's higher on tony's list but from the nerd review it's the rock Nicholas Cage higher up on Tony's list, so we will kick it over to Dave. My number three, you mentioned your suspicion there was another Keanu Reeves movie lurking out there. It's Speed. Uh, Speed's number oh, three yeah. on my list. Uh, you know, I mean, pop quiz. Yeah, that's right. Pop quiz, asshole. <laughs> uh, this movie is just, uh, it, it, I mean, yeah, wow. Um, God. What do you do? <laughs> Yeah, what, what do you, do you, what do, you do? do? And and I mean, Keanu was fantastic in this, and 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 a, a younger Sandra Bullock who it plays a damsel in distress about as well as as anybody could have. So, I uh, God, who who was the bad guy? Who played the bad guy? I'm trying to remember his name. Dennis Hopper. Thank dude. you, Dennis Hopper. Oh my God, yeah, you're I'm, fired. I just drawn blanks today. So he was excellent in this thing, and just the way he had set this whole thing up with the with the bus and you can't go under 50 miles an hour it's all going to explode and just i mean yeah the action is great especially at the end you know at the end with the with the uh with the uh what is it the subway going uh, uh you know going through the the metro station or whatever it was but i mean it's just as far as keanu movies go this is probably the one that really kind of separated him from ted theodore logan and thrust him into the limelight as, hey, this guy is an action guy way before John Wick ever came around. So Speed holds a special place to me. I thought it was done really well. Still bothers me that Jeff Daniels, Harry, got blown apart on the shitter. You know, <laughs> it just really sucks. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, the movie's fantastic. And it's it, it, it keeps you invested. You're 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 in it the whole time. Like, how are they going to pull this thing off? And it just keep it just sucks you in. And yeah, Dennis Hopper's character who realizes when he realizes he's been had, you know, and especially even on the on the subway, I'm coming for you, Jack, that sort of thing. He meets a uh, he meets an appropriate end in the whole grand scheme of things, I thought. So, yeah, speed's number three for me. Great call. Fun movie. Great ride. Thank you, PC. Oh, and, and now it's it's to you, right? Yeah, it's your number three. My number three is higher on your list, I believe, Patrick. Uh, it's a Harrison Ford movie with Tommy Lee Jones, so we'll just save that. Uh, my uh, number two, uh, then. Yep, my number two yep. is Assassins with Antonio Banderas and Sylvester right. Stallone. I absolutely adore that movie. I it doesn't if you could ignore the advancement in technology it holds up. 
Um, but at the time, it was amazing. I mean, to me, watching it and the back and forth and the cat and mouse game and, and how at the end everything is pulled together, the scene where, you know, he's waiting for him in the clock tower and he comes to visit him while he's waiting for him. You know what I mean? It's just, it's it was such a fun movie between two mega, two literal megastars. Couldn't say enough about it. That's why I made number two on my list. Wonderful choice. Wonderful choice. Yeah, great call. Yeah, great call. So, so my number two and number, number two one hit. are definitely, I you can call them action dramas. And, and there's a lot of, uh, I mean, you could have easily slid either of them to dramas, but there's enough action in it that I said, all right, I'm going to keep them on this list. My number two is the Clint Eastwood classic, Unforgiven. So I absolutely love this movie. And yeah, I'd say most of it is in the drama category as he wrestles with who he used to be and, and you know, his partner and this young kid trying to thrust him back into being that again to take out these cowboys who've cut up a, a, a whore. You know, just that's what it was. And, um, and it's not until Ned, his friend, gets killed and he finds out about it that you see that flip go. He hasn't, he hasn't touched whiskey since his, his wife died. As soon as he starts drinking, you know Gene Hackman and the boys are about to get it. And sure enough, they go in that big showdown at the end, and, and he blows away Gene Hackman, who was fantastic as little Bill in this movie. Gene Hackman was great in this movie. Um, absolutely love the movie. It's, it's just the, the last 30 minutes are so damn good. It has enough action in it that I really thought, all right, I'm going to say this is more action than drama at this point. But it's number two on my list. I've always loved that movie. And here I thought there were no Oscar winners on our list. There you go. <laughs> that, that movie won Best Picture, right? It won Best Picture, I think, uh, for... I it, it up. For, maybe. I thought it won an Oscar. Maybe I'm wrong. I need your help because I'm having trouble remembering this. And since you brought up Clint Eastwood, other movies that almost made my list that didn't. Clint Eastwood movie In the Line of Fire with him and John Malkovich where Clint Eastwood plays the aging Secret Service agent. That, that was one of almost made list. Gene Hackman movie, help me remember this one, with Sharon Stone, Russell Crowe, Western. Quick like the Dead. The, thing. the Quick and the Dead, that's what it was. Quick and the Dead. Leo DiCaprio was in that movie as well. Leo Unforgiven, DiCaprio. let's close that up real quick. Uh, yeah. Academy yeah. Award for Best Picture, Academy Award for Best Directing, Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, Golden Globe as well for everything else. Academy Award for that's Best Film Editing. Won four Academy Awards. Yeah, and I don't yeah, like Westerns. But this is the one that I actually did like because I thought it was, I mean, the acting's phenomenal. They just sucked. I mean, Morgan Freeman plays Ned and, you know, his crisis of conscience that really kind of cost him his life ultimately uh, is one of the more powerful moments of the movie. Um, So, yeah, it's probably, you could probably say it's more drama than action adventure, but I loved it, you know, and and it, it showed up on a lot of my, when I was doing like Tony talk about doing research. When I did research, it showed up on a lot of the action adventure stuff. I said, and I said, oh, wow. Okay, yeah, that's number two for me. Strongly recommend, by the way, if you do like a good Western that's underrated, The Quick and the Dead with Sharon Stone, Russell Crowe, Gene Hackman, Leo DiCaprio, kind of a who's who's list of actors directed by Sam Raimi, known more for his horror and, of course, Spider-Man. Just terrific, terrific. And The Multiverse of Madness. He is the director of Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. My number two is another Robert Rodriguez movie. Another Antonio Banderas movie, and that's Desperado. Desperado, story of uh, a man who is going from town to town looking for a drug kingpin in Mexico by the name of Bucho, who also happens to be his older brother. And again, straight up action flick. 
this is what Robert Rodriguez did really, really well. and was just so fun as a filmmaker to see. Hardcore fans are going to talk about El Mariachi, which was the the first one that came out. But Desperado is the one that got the mainstream love. Desperado is the one that got me to watch El Mariachi. But and the guy who played El Mariachi in the first one is in Desperado uh, as as one of uh, Antonio Banderas's buddies. But again, you look at this cast: Antonio Banderas, Salma Hayek, which by the way hottest woman on the planet at the time in my opinion in both from dust till dawn and, and desperado just oh my god so hot my teeth would sweat it's funny you mentioned robert rodriguez and selma hayek and antonio banderas because when the 2000 projects come along those three will be in my top five for another robert rodriguez film yeah he made some really great stuff uh Steve Buscemi's in that movie. Cheech Marin's in that movie. Danny Trejo's in that movie. Uh, it's just, it's so, so good. Quentin, uh, Quentin Tarantino makes a cameo in that movie. Tells, tells a terrible joke and gets shot. It's it's awesome. So, yeah, totally, totally worth the time. Check it out. I love it. And that brings me to my number one. Tony, you mentioned it earlier that it was going to be higher on my list. My number one, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. The Fugitive... Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, just it's a chase scene. It's a cha- it's a it's an hour and a half long chase scene with Harrison Ford playing Dr. Richard Kimball, trying to prove that he didn't murder his wife, that he saw a man with one arm do it, and Tommy Lee Jones as the the authority tasked with bringing him in, and to watch like. Two, two great, great, great actors play off one another and for a large portion of the movie not be in the same room together in, in the same scenes. It's it's amazing. It's phenomenal. I love that movie so much. You And I was crushed today when I was like, I wonder if it's streaming anywhere. And it's streaming nowhere. There's zero places where it is streaming at all. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's very, very quotable. Uh, you know, most people know about the one-armed man thing. Uh, I didn't kill. I didn't kill my wife. Nobody cares. Joey Pants. Joey Pantolano was in it. Um, God, there's. I don't know. I'm, I'm forgetting. There was somebody else that's that's really really big time in there as well. Uh, but yeah, my number one, just kind of a a combination of suspense and action from beginning to end. And when he finally tracks down his killer or his wife's killer and brings that and brings that man down it's it's a very satisfying moment when you and it's not just the killer it's the man responsible for having his wife killed go ahead tony go i i say this a million times about all these movies in the 90s or, or late 80s and that i've seen it in the movie theater and it's just a uh, a tribute to my grandparents who would take me to movies like almost every single friday and this one i seen in the movie theater and it's one of those where all three of us walked out of the movie theater like, wow, that was awesome. Me being a little kid, them being, you know, experienced grandparents and adults that have lived through so much. And it's it's a thrill ride. It really is from open to close. Tommy Lee Jones, just fucking phenomenal in that movie. Unbelievable. Who is his sidekick in that? Who is the uh, assistant? Who is his assistant? I can't remember. Who played, well, his, on the, who played his secondary on the team, though? Uh, I'm going to have to look it up because I know, um, like I said, Joe Pantiel, uh I always pronounce his last name wrong. Um, 
they call him Joey Pants, um, was in it, but I don't think he was just on the team. He wasn't the lead. Julianne Moore's in it. I forgot it about was, that. It was it was Joey Pants. Joey Pants was his second on the team, that's and right, he's the one right. at the end of the movie where they get together. Right, right. You're right. But yeah, terrific. Yeah, just terrific cast, terrific, terrific acting, uh, and again, just a, a great combination of tension and action all the way through. Love, love, love that movie. I, I love the movie too, and I'm like, wow, how the hell did that miss my list? That's pretty pathetic. Yeah, how the hell did that miss your list? I don't know, but I'm about to ask you guys how this missed your list. My number one. So, my number one is I know. I can deduce from Tunney what his number one is, and it's a different Sean Connery movie. It's The Hunt for Red October. That's my it's number my one. It's my top 25. Uh, it's my top 25. The other submarine movie made it to my to 13, Crimson Tide. Yeah, that was pretty good, too. Uh, but, I, I mean, I love The Hunt for Red October. This, this is my number one because it's just one of those movies that the performances were yep, yep, were tremendous. You got the late, great Sir Sean Connery. You got Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan. Uh, you got Sam Neill, you got Scott Glenn, who's captaining the United States submarine. It, it's this great action drama thriller that's going on with the whole, you know, the Soviets have developed this deadly submarine that can evade sonar detection by going silent. And Sean Connery realizing, wow, this could be a game changer and could threaten the entire world, defects to the United States. And then the whole thing about, it, the, you know, them determining is he defecting? Is he not? It's just one of those fantastic movies that I just, I love the plot. I love the acting. I love the, the tension, especially in the last 30 minutes of this thing. So yeah, hunt for red October is number one for me. Dave. Yes. Do you know who else likes movies about submarines? Who? Your dad. Sorry. I could, all I could go through my head was that, uh, was it the Geico commercial where you're becoming your parents? The waiter doesn't need to know your name. The waiter no doesn't need no one cares how early you got up. <laughs> they didn't ask for your help. No fussing. I'm sorry. No fussing, I'm, no I'm, cussing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm just piling on with Patrick here. I don't really mean any of it. I'm just trying to be. No, funny. The, 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 the great a great man. I'm sorry. It is. It's a great movie. It is. It really is. And Sean Connery is aces on that. I actually like Crimson Tide better uh, for whatever reason. I think it's more of my bias towards Denzel over Sean Connery. And again, I, I have Sean Connery on another movie on my list, which is uh, if I'm going to place money, betting is on Tony's number one. So, yeah, I, I'm i sorry, man. I, I do. I, you're old. I, I, I can't help it. I do it. I do it out of humor to appease the yeah, I'm, people I'm that need to entertain. Patrick's part. just like, just cranking that cheese wheel. I'm just, I'm just mean. It's because we see too much of each other over the weekend. I'm not sure like, how having the hunt for red October number one defines my age, but all right. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. It's, it, it's playing off that who else reads books about airplanes or whatever it is, or world war two. It's, it's that whole game. I, I love you, Dave. There's nothing but love here. Now get off my lawn. Tony, why don't you go and talk about your number one? <laughs> all right. Well, my number one is the rock. There you go, right there. I it's 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 a phenomenal fun ride with Ed Harris as the bad guy. You have Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage, where Ed Harris is a military general who's mad about uh, special ops that have been slain and and threatens to blow up Alcatraz 
unless they get a hundred million dollars to these people of, of fallen soldiers, which which I'm all for, but not in that fashion. So <laughs> Nick Cage a extreme, and, extreme. Yeah, and former SEAL or whatever crazy awesome military ex-con, whoever, Sean Connery, they have a plan with the government to come in, and while everybody that's supposed to helping them is taken out, they find their way onto The Rock, which, you know, obviously, when we talk about movies, we've always talked about what are the greatest lines of movies, and how many times have you said it, but we all like to give our best Sean Connery impersonation. I'll I'll start and set the bar really low. I'll say, welcome to The Rock. That wasn't the line I was thinking. No? I thought you were going to say. All right, go ahead. What's your line? The best. Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Carla was the prom queen. Really? <laughs> I love his reaction. Yeah. Really? <laughs> Nick- Nicholas Cage being a fish out of water. Like the rock, the rock was my number three and we reviewed it on the nerd review. It, the, the, this was the first like action movie with Nicholas Cage. And in it, he plays this fish out of water science guy who's really out of his element. And it's hilarious like I, I always think back to that chase scene in, in the in the streets of San Francisco, right? Where he he's sitting there, he's trying to chase down Sean Connery, who's in a Hummer, just trying to get to his daughter, and he's looking at this like crazy tra- cross traffic, and he's just like, "Oh well, why not?" And he just drives himself onto a sidewalk to run to run him down. It, it was just, it's it's very very well done. It is quintessentially 90s. If I were to place a bet on what's going to win the action-adventure 90s poll, I think Tony's going to be three for three because I think the I, – maybe maybe I'm wrong, but you've I, – I think that this is – like everybody loved this movie in the 90s when I was a kid. Like everybody. I can't think of a single person I ever talked to that was like, that movie's stupid. I hated it. This is going to be a tough one. Because there's going to be three choices. We'll get the fourth from Ray, probably. I would imagine right. we're going to do something like yeah, that to get it up. But even if it's just Hunt for Red October and 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 The Fugitive and The Rock, I mean, talk about you know, talk about you know. I, I think about this a lot with with the amount of media we consume now and the available ways of of consumption. And you think about things that you've binged, and you think about things that you've watched as they've come out on television, and you think about movies you've gone to see and movies you've stayed home and watched. And all these things, these three movies are are on the top of the list of movies that I wish I could see again for the first time. And that's really how I judge how great a movie is, is like, man, that was so awesome. And I can watch it again and I'm going to enjoy it. But I wish I could go back and see that again. I was that entertained and see it again for the first time. And a lot of that stuff we talk about in our top two threes is, is just yeah. that's what's so fun. Did did Ray give By you his way, list, Pat? Do you know what his number one is? No, he said he didn't he make a list. We tried. He didn't make a list. Yeah. Uh, low key shout out to Tony Todd. By the way, great character actor who will probably show up in my horror movie list because he plays a lead role in a terrific horror franchise. But yeah, that'll do it. That's our that's our last number one, and probably you know, Dave. I got to tell you, you would think that when we have different movies on the list, that it would take us longer to get through the list. And yet here we are basically hitting the two hour mark right in front of Patrick O'Dowd as a question and probably about as fast as we've done one. Very little 
uh, crossover on this one. I mean, just the, like The Rock, we is the only one that we all had on our list was The Rock. You know, my four, your right. three, Tony's one. But yeah, it, it was. Uh, it, it does. I mean, Tony. Tony gestured a good point, though. You know, only three of us, as opposed to four of us doing right. the list, does make a difference it as does. well. It does. Can I can I do something really quick? And I'm not going to talk about anything, but just movies I had because I had 24 movies and I break the top 15, and I, just some things we might have left off. I won't say anything about them. Bad Boys, Lax the Action Hero, uh, Crimson Tide, Three Kings, uh, Con Air. We already mentioned before. U.S. Marshals is a great movie. Um, what else is on here? Uh, on Deadly Grounds, my favorite Steven Seagal movie. Dick Tracy is a fun movie. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a really good movie. So just some other action movies we didn't mention. It's funny you mentioned U.S. Marshals, which is a spinoff of The Fugitive, because it follows Tommy Lee Jones' character. One other movie, when you mentioned Scott Glenn, by the way, uh, Dave, uh, for The Hunt for Red October, the other movie that that I forgot that I almost put on here, Backdraft, with yep. Kurt Russell, different different sort of action movie, but yeah. I think definitely quali- qualifies. You know, Kurt Russell, William Baldwin, good movie. Kurt Russell definitely. is a guy who didn't make our list. Who had two fucking phenomenal movies uh, that were uh, what was it? Uh, Escape from LA, and then what was the other one that was the presidential or, or political one uh, or the Air one? Um, Air Force One was he in Air Force One? No, no, no. It's not Air Force One. It's not Con Air. Damn it. You guys keep going and I'll throw it out there eventually. But yeah, yeah just throwing other stuff fine. out like cliffhanger. There's one that could have made, yep. you know, there's one that we didn't talk about. Um, That's the one where he's underground in the tunnel. Stallone, where he's in the tunnels. Um, Broken arrow. There's a, there's one that we didn't mention that could have Broken made the arrow, list. Revolver, Do not Slater. shoot the nuclear warhead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny because there's a plethora of good action movies out there, and, and much like everything else that we've done with these lists, and that'll keep going. Oh, go ahead, Tony. Executive Tony. decision. Yes, yes, I remember that one. Is that the one with Steven Seagal, and he dies like five minutes into the movie or something, or is that Air Force One, I, where he's like a head of security or something? One of those. I don't know. I left Time Cop off too, so you know there. There's and Van Damme, Seagal, and uh, Kurt Russell. Yeah, Universal Soldier could have made it. Lionheart. By the Nerd Review. All right, so that's going to do it for our action adventure top ten. Next week we do week six, as we keep rolling along and we go into horror. This ought to be a lot of fun. We'll hopefully see a lot of don't go comedy PC Tunny horror. The show it's horror. If you want to go horror comedy, like like an amalgamation of the two, I kind of get it, but horror. So I'm going to tell you what. I, I am not a horror fan. Yeah. Thriller counts too. Yeah. I might go a little more thriller. And there's a few horror movies that I know are really, really good that I might actually try and sit down and watch. It's just I'm a squeamish guy. Fair, fair enough. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it again next week horror top 10 horror movies of the 90s is mayonnaise an instrument what a go jellyfishing what am i supposed to do all day while you're at school can i use your bathroom who's your friend what does claustrophobic mean (laughs) you know what the problem is (laughs) tony i love you 
So he's hated you and loved you in the same episode, Tony. What I do. It's true. It's 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 a revolving door of love and hate. Anyway, so this weekend was actually a really unique weekend in entertainment. And I, I'm not sure how Dave, I, if you can't answer this, I understand. So I, I want to put that out there because I know you've been pretty busy. A lot of stuff dropped and was available for people to watch on streaming. For example, Coming to America, uh, Ray of the Last Dragon uh, released on streaming. Obviously, WandaVision released on streaming. All of this content that's hitting Paramount Plus dropped this week as well, by the way, and, which was already CBS All Access. So if you have it, great. Not a lot of new stuff showed up on Paramount Plus, but what's going to be interesting with them is they're going to release films 45 days after a movie hits the theaters, so they're they're going to have a little bit of a special running in. But if you had to pick one out of the out of the plethora of things that was available to watch for the first time this weekend, what would you have chosen? And I'm going to pick one that I didn't even watch, but is one I want to watch and hope people will pay the money for. And that's Ray of the Last Dragon the new animated flick that showed up on Disney plus. And the only reason I haven't watched it is because it comes with a premiere account. So you have to pay a little bit more on top to see it. And I'm cheap. Dave can back you on this. There's a reason I didn't do a nerd review two weeks ago. Yeah. You could have bought the fugitives, man. Just saying. I could have. So that's mine. I would say coming to America. I, I, I really wanted to see that. I didn't even realize that it had come out until you reminded me of it. I was like, fuck. I missed that completely, but that's definitely the one. Ray, I'm moderately interested in, especially Ray in the chat it's gave it a five-star review. Reviews. It's getting terrific reviews. <laughs> Tony, added it, at man. Disney Plus. From Tony, at Disney Plus, I didn't have to wait three months or pay an extra 30 bucks to see hashtag coming to America on at Prime Video. So I'm sure I'm they'll respond coming to America was, would be your choice. It's, it was my favorite thing I watched this weekend. It's funny. I've asked a lot of people that have seen the original and now hopefully watch the sequel and whether it not executed their expectations. And I loved it. I mean, I enjoyed the story they told. I enjoyed the callbacks. I mean, maybe, maybe everybody was expecting a little bit more, but what did you really expect from a movie that kind of pushed the envelope in the nineties and here we are in our day and age now where that kind of comedy is not necessarily accepted for anybody except the rarest of people and not even 100% at that. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot as well. I thought it was I thought it did a great I thought it was a nice blend of a new unique story that also paid homage to the original and I, I said this offline, but the last 10 minutes of that movie I I just loved it. Just loved every second of it, and it's totally worth it. Hashtag Egg McStuffins. Yep. Yes, very good, very good. I love it. Um, also, just great to see John Amos still acting uh, as as Mr. McDowell. Uh, it's good, good, good stuff. So, excellent, excellent. A lot of good content. More content rolling out there, by the way. Uh, particularly, I know Disney Plus is rolling out things. Of course, you got to keep up with HBO. A lot of good things on the horizon. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. But before we go, as we always do, gentlemen, tell everyone where to find you on the social medias and where to listen to you on the various podcasts. Go David Ungar for the win. You can find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. You know, this is our 69th episode, guys. That's uh, 
Nice. Nice. Speaking of 69 and you know X's and O's and picking a square and things of that nature, I'll take Paul Lynn for the win. Uh, you can find me at PC Tunney um, <laughs> and all over. Just listen to the Chair Shot Radio Network. Pull it up on whatever streaming device you have. And if you're listening to Bandwagon Nerds or whatever else you're listening to, there's tons more for everybody. Sports, entertainment, and sports entertainment. We're trying to make it happen for you. We love you for listening. And you can find me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. You can listen to me every Sunday morning on Chair Shot Radio with David Ungar. You can catch me every Wednesday with Craig DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Babyface Heel podcast. Of course, you can catch us every Monday on Bandwagon Nerds. Catch Dave, Ray, and I's latest nerd review. That's right. We got Ray Cash to help us write one with Kong Skull Island. It was great great read we continue our kaiju reviews this week as hopefully we get ready to come back but we're going to review godzilla king of the monsters in front of the hbo max release of godzilla versus kong thank you everyone for listening to this week's edition of bandwagon nerds remember next week it's your top 10 horror movies of the 90s for pc tunny and david ongar this is patrick o'dowd wishing you a happy happy week not horror movies tunny Horror. Horror. Now get yourself up out of the basement, get some sun, and check out some pointless action movies with some good old-fashioned explosions. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. like he fucked his commander. I knew it, that son of a bitch jumped shit. Welcome to the rock.